Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your grace to us. We're grateful that you speak to us through your word. And this morning, as we open your word together, we pray that you would remind us of how wonderful you are, how powerful you are, how righteous and how just, how compassionate and how gracious, that our hearts may be encouraged, that we might be um, excited to worship you and to proclaim uh, the great things that you have done. And so, Father, we ask for these things according to the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So this morning I was thinking about the text for today, and we're working our way through the book of Romans, and we're into Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, and I, I was thinking about the fact that we have a problem And we have a problem that is not unique to us, but is for everybody, but everybody deals with it in different ways. And it's the problem of evil, right? There is evil and wickedness in the world, and what does that say, right? So some people say, you know what, because uh, wicked people are successful, because there is wickedness and evil in the world, there must not be a God in heaven who cares about us. That's the solution, There are other people who say, you know what, there is wicked and evilness in the world and and I must overcome it with the good within myself and I will be saved by my performance because I am not wicked and evil like other parts of the world are or other people within the world are. But we're stuck because we we believe that there is a God in heaven and that we're not saved by uh, our works. So how does that work? Aren't, Aren't you a little bit embarrassed about that? You know, that that you would say, oh, I believe in God. And somebody said, well, what about all the stuff that's going on? Don't you see the state of our nation? It doesn't really matter what you believe or what your values are. Right now, you look at the state of our nation and probably you're not very happy with it, right? One side or the other. Everybody is unhappy right now. It's amazing that nobody can be happy. Or you look at, at unrest around the world and you say, how, how? How can you believe that? Aren't you embarrassed by that? And so uh, what I want to do is take a look now at Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, because Paul has been writing to the church at Rome and he's been encouraging them, saying to them, uh, look, this is the gospel that Jesus came and died and rose again from the dead, that you might be saved from your sins. And I long to come and be with you and spend some time with you, that we might encourage one another through our mutual faith. Because I, I, I have to, I must, I am compelled, obligated to preach the gospel to everybody. Especially I desire to come and preach it to you who are in Rome. And this is what he says, then following that up. I'm going to start in 14, but we're going to pick it up in 16. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
I want to take two passes through this. First, I want to take a pass looking at this uh, from God's perspective. And then I want to take a look at it from our perspective. Okay, so, so first he starts off and says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Now, maybe Paul is saying, I have good reason to be, but I'm not. Or maybe uh, he, what he's saying is, um, I'm not ashamed. In fact, I'm excited about it. I'm passionate about it. Right? Well, like when we, uh, he, so he's say, just saying, I, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I'm passionate about it. I'm excited about it. Or maybe he's saying, look, you might be ashamed of it, but I'm not. Why might they be ashamed of it? These Jews and Greeks that he's writing to, the, the Jews are, are ashamed of it because it's not very Jewish. Right? The Jude, Judaism revolved around the law and what I did and being ceremonially clean and sacrifices and things. And here you have this Jesus that comes in and now the gospel is going out even to the Gentiles and don't, they don't even have to like do all of the, the Jewish uh, ceremonial stuff. What's the deal with that? How could, you, how could you, Paul, call yourself a Jew, a Hebrew, and still claim to this gospel? It doesn't make any sense. Isn't that, doesn't that fly in the face of, of the things that we believe about being a chosen people and, and uh, doing the good that we must do and, and doing all of the rituals to please God? And then on the other hand, you've got the Greeks who look at it and go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You think that somebody died and rose again from the dead? That's ridiculous. And you think that it means something for you even if it did happen? This is foolishness. What are you talking about? But, but what Paul is saying is, no, I'm not ashamed about, about it. I'm passionate about it because it's the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God. I, I was thinking about this, this power, the power. I was thinking, oh, what, what are the things that I use? The, uh, batteries, right? Batteries are power. Or I, I, plug, I plug stuff in. Everything runs on. My iPad runs on power. My phone runs on power. The lights run on power. Everything runs on power. You know, it wasn't that long ago that that wasn't the case. Not everything ran on electric power. Where, do, where does the power come from? Well, around here, a, a majority of our power comes from the river. Right? The Columbia River. It's the source of the power. In fact, people have been using rivers and water power for a long, long time, way before they were using electricity. They were using water power to grind things and use mills and all kinds of stuff. Or transportation. Because you could transport things along a river much more easily than you could transport it across the land. Because there's so much power in the river. You stand in the river and you try and move upstream and you might as well just turn around and decide you wanted to go downstream after all. Because of the power of the river. And when we're talking about the power of the gospel, what we're talking about is river power. Right? We're not talking about iPad power. 
that if I accidentally watch too many movies, it dies on me in a few hours. But, but river power, that is the source of the power, that everything else just taps into that, and we're just harnessing that raw power, the power of God for salvation. The power of God for salvation. We read this uh, verse at the beginning of the service together. It was 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The power of God. At the beginning of of the book of Romans, uh, Paul talks about it as uh, the power of God being displayed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. When's the last time you saw somebody resurrected from the dead? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Somebody died three days later, rose from the dead. It's a display of power. A power that we don't have in other ways. We, we can't do that. I, I can remember going to one of my, the first memorial services that I was a, a part of. Um, that that I, I remember it. I was about 15 years old. One of the elders in our church had just died of cancer. It came up very suddenly. So that we found out that he had brain cancer and six months later he was dead. And we were standing around the graveside and we were looking at the, the grave, and I just wanted to go, Come out! Gene, come out! He wasn't going to come out. I didn't have that kind of power, that kind of authority, that can call the dead to life. But God does. It is the power of God for salvation. I mean, when, we, we, when we look at the wickedness and the evil that is in the world and we see all of that and we go, how do you deal with that? How do you handle all of that wickedness? It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Just reading headlines is overwhelming. Sometimes I have some very social conscious people talk to me and go, why don't you care about this? I can't. I can't. Not that I don't want to. There's just so much pain and so much wrong and so much evil and so much wickedness everywhere that I would be exhausted if I cared about everything. And so it sounds awful, but I can't. I can't. There's just too much there. And that's where people stop and throw up their hands and go, there must not be a God because look at this. Or if there is, he must be really weak. 
to allow all of this to happen. But it is the power of God. Through the Gospel. The the good news is the power of God. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. To everybody. Everybody's on the same page here. Everybody's on the same playing field. Salvation comes the same way to every single person. We see this, this Gospel in Romans 6.23. Who remembers Romans 6.23? Okay, we'll, we'll try it again. Well, I, I'm telling you, it's going to take us a long time to get through the book of Romans. And whether you like it or not, you will have Romans 6.23 memorized by the time we're done. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. That's the problem. All of the wickedness, all of the evil, all of the sin results in death. That's where it's all headed. But, the free gift of God is eternal life. And that eternal life comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the power of God. It's the power of God that does something that nothing else can. It redeems sinful people. It redeems sinful people. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So first, he's not ashamed because the, uh, of the gospel because it reveals the power of God for salvation. Second, he's not ashamed of the gospel because it reveals the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Right? The, the, this is the, the challenge that we have. Right? When you look at the wickedness and the evil that's in the world, you, you'd say, okay, either God is not powerful, that is, He can't do anything about it, it's just there, or He's not just. Right? Because how otherwise would the wicked be as successful as they are? And God still be just and powerful. And here we have that through the Gospel, the righteousness of God is also revealed along with His power. It's revealed. How can that be? How can the righteousness of God be revealed even while there's so much sin in the world? In Romans 3, uh, verses 21 through 26, it says this, But now, the righteousness of God has been, ma- been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because it was in His divine forbearance that He had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's a lot, a lot there. But uh, let's start here in, in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for everyone who believes. We, we all have, uh, who have faith in Jesus have righteousness that comes apart from the law. It comes apart from our work. It comes apart from our right doing. Right? Because the moralist says, look, I'm justified by my good. By the good that I do. And even though there's a lot of wickedness and evil in the world, I am justified because I am not wicked and evil like them. I'm justified because I'm good. I do my very best to be good. But the Gospel says, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. If we want actual justice, that's not good enough. You can't just do as good as you can or as good as you feel like or what seems good to you. You have to do actual good, perfect good. Otherwise, we have to deal with that. There has to be consequences for all sin. Not just the sin that seems so overt and awful in someone else, but also those little tiny sins in me. All of that has to be dealt with. How are we going to do that? And the good news of Jesus says that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction because everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. The moralists will vacillate back and forth. And on the one hand, they go, well, I'm not that bad. So I'm good. And on the other hand, when you say, but you're not perfect, they go, no, but nobody's perfect. But nobody's perfect. So it has to be graded on a sliding scale, where I am, just good enough. Or maybe a little bit better than just good enough. I'm actually pretty good. And what we're saying is that that's not good enough. That in order for the righteousness of God to be revealed, the justice of God to be revealed, sin has to actually be dealt with. All of it has to be dealt with. And that sin is dealt with through Jesus. So that God's righteousness is is revealed in this. It's made manifest to us, not through our moralism, not through the works that adhere to the law, but through faith in Jesus, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That is, that that God the Father gave Jesus, God the Son, as a sacrifice to take care of the sins that we have. If all sin leads to death, the death of our sin is taken care of in Jesus. That's what that's saying. 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God may be just in dealing with sin and also may be the justifier in justifying us who believe in Jesus so that we are now made righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's how it's dealt with. So that God is displaying both His power and His righteousness in the Gospel. Now what about us? We go back to Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. I am not ashamed of the Gospel. He's not ashamed of the Gospel because it's the power of God and because the righteousness of God is revealed through it. But now he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is my salvation. Because it is my salvation. It's hard to be embarrassed about or ashamed of something that is helpful to you. We we can try. I've had vehicles before that I drove that I was a little bit embarrassed by. Because I really would like to drive something nicer than that. Something that people wouldn't look at and go, really, you drive that? And at the same time, I wasn't too embarrassed about it because it got me from here to there and back again every time. It was very helpful to me. Very useful to me. And so I'm not embarrassed by it because it does exactly what I need it to do. And that's what Paul's saying here. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everybody who has a need to be saved can be saved when they believe in Jesus because of the power of God. Isn't that awesome? Everybody has the same problem. Some people have problems of transportation and they need cars for that. Or you might solve it through buses or trains or planes or some other means of transportation. Maybe you use a bicycle. But everybody has the problem of sin and there is no other way of dealing with it. Not an effective one. You can ignore it, pretend it's not there. That's not very effective. Because the sin, like a cancer, just continues to grow. You can pretend it's not there, but it's going to result in death, whether you like it or not. Whether you acknowledge it or not. It's there. You can try and do really good and deal with it that way, but it's not effective to do it that way. You can do as much good. You can try and try to uh, make up for all of the wrongs that you have done. 
but it, it, it's never going to get there. You're not going to be able to do that. So we're all on the same page. We all have the same need for being saved from our sins and the wrongs that we have done. And this is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. To everybody. In Romans 10, Paul writes this. He says, Brothers, it is my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is the problem of moralism. That we seek to establish our own righteousness and be justified by our own established righteousness rather than the righteousness of God. He says... Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the, righteous per, about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? That the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's one of the clearest presentations of the gospel in the scriptures. Now, I may have told some of you this before. When I was growing up, I knew many of the Bible stories. I, I grew up in church and went to the Sunday school classes and knew most of the Bible stories. I knew the order that they were in. I knew the books of the Bible. I knew, I knew lots and lots of stuff. And I went to my dad one time and I, I said, Dad, how would somebody know how to be saved? Could you, could you know that just by reading the Bible? And he looked at me, and he went, what? I said, well, how would somebody know how to be saved if they didn't go to church? If they just read the Bible, how would they know? Because from my perspective, there was all of the teachings in the Bible that taught stuff, but I didn't understand from the Scriptures how somebody could be saved. I knew you had to believe in Jesus and that Jesus died for, for my sins, but I didn't know where it said that in the Scriptures. Isn't that crazy? And as I was reading through the Scriptures, then I found this passage and I went, oh, That's it! Oh, it does say it! In the Bible it says it! I could just give somebody this part of the Bible and they could read it and they could know how to be saved. Because it says it. And I was super excited about it. It's still one of my favorite passages. 
I've since discovered there's actually many places in the Bible (laughs) that it explains how to get saved. It's all over. But this is one of my favorites because it's the first one that I discovered for myself. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart, one believes and is justified. That's how you are justified. It's not through work. It's not through effort. It's not through ignorance or pretending that sin's not there. It is by believing that you are justified. And with the mouth, you confess and are saved. You proclaim with your mouth, yep, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, the Son of God, died for my sin and rose again from the dead. And I am claiming Him as my Lord. And you are saved. Because everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Paul is not ashamed of the Gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. There is no other salvation. Just this one. You don't have to be ashamed of that. There's no need to be embarrassed about that. There's only one salvation and everybody gets it the same way. So don't be be embarrassed about that. Be excited about that. Because God provides it to us. And for in in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The... The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. We've already talked about that. And it results in righteousness for us and a life of righteousness for us. It's not a one-time thing. It's not the kind of thing that, that we go, oh, if I believe in Jesus, I will be saved. If I confess with my mouth, I will be saved. Jesus is Lord. Done. See on the flip side. There are a lot of people that think that. If you you just convince them that to say those words, they will be saved. Please say those words. Please say those words. If you say those words, I get the evangelism merit badge. (laughs) Trying to convince somebody with great music, great speaking, persuasive arguments, that if they just confess it this one time, we don't have to worry after that. They can go back to whatever it was that they were doing before. But if they just say it this one time, no, it's from faith for faith. It's a righteousness that, that comes from faith in believing in Jesus. And it's a faith that continues so that the righteous live by faith. We live that way. In, in, in the next uh, couple of weeks, we'll be talking about that. Because Paul goes on with his discussion of uh, the Gospel and talks about what does this mean and how does that get lived out and what about sin and all of these different things. And so we'll deal with those in a couple of weeks, but, but for now let's just put it this way. 
that we are saved by faith and continue to live by faith. Because when we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that doesn't change after we believe it. It continues to be the case. It reprioritizes the way that we live. It changes our values. It changes the things that we do. Because we are now living with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And before we weren't. Before you're married, you live as a single person. After you're married, you live as a married person. There was a change that took place. Before you had kids, you lived a free life. After you had kids, you live like a person who has kids. You don't get to pretend that it's different than that. Before you're saved, before you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you live like a person who doesn't believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But after, you live like a person who believes that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I, I had two friends that were having a discussion that I uh, was an observer of. It was an online Facebook kind of discussion, the really good kind. <laughs> and the one was saying, it's an embarrassment that that person would call themselves a Christian because obviously they're not. There is nothing that they do that represents that they are a Christian. And another person chimed in and said, Who are you to judge whether or not they are a Christian? No one can judge that except them and God. That's between them and God. And I sat back with my popcorn and just watched. Because I ventured into too many of those discussions and stuck my neck out there and got my head chopped off. And so I decided I was just going to sit back and watch this one. And they went back and forth. The one is not a believer. The other is a believer. And I'm watching this going, neither of these people understand the gospel really. Neither of these people really understand what's going on here. That the righteous live by faith. The, the one wanted to say, let's not judge them. If they prayed the prayer, they're saved. Who are you to say whether or not they prayed the prayer? The other one is going, look it, they are not good enough to be called a Christian. The righteous live by faith. We expect that if life is not going to be perfect, but that it will be in line with Christ. There will be an effort to follow Him, and we'll be talking about these in, in future weeks. But this is, in fact, the, as it, it, he quotes, the righteous shall live by faith, he's quoting from the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. 
And Habakkuk's question to God is, how come the wicked are so successful? What's going on? You're using the wicked to judge your people. Do you know what they are like? And God said, yep. Yep. I know how wicked and awful they are and I am using them as a tool. But do not think that you are so righteous yourselves because the righteous live by faith. And so I am using them to bring my people to faith. And in the end, I will judge them and I will take care of their wickedness and I will handle that. But I am hoping that my people who think that they are righteous and are actually wicked themselves will live by faith and have the kind of righteousness that comes from me. That's where we're at. So when we're talking with people and people are are asking us, well, how can you believe in God when all this stuff is going on? How do you deal with that? Or when they're asking questions about how, what, are they good enough? You know what? No. They're not good enough. But I believe that God has been passing over sins and has been patient. That the, the fact that there's so much wickedness in the world is not because of God's impotence. It's not because He's not able to deal with it. And it's not because He's unjust but because He's patient. And He is waiting for the right time so that as many people as possible might come to faith in Him and have a righteousness that comes through faith because the works is not going to get it done. And I believe that when it's all said and done, God will deal with all of it. He will judge the wicked as wicked and He will punish them for their sins. But those who believe in Him, those who believe in Jesus, their sins are already punished, taken care of by Jesus. That's how we talk about it. That's the good news that comes only through the power and righteousness of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are God and there is no other. Lord, we see all of the different ways that people try to deal with sin and wickedness and evil and injustice in the world. And we recognize that the prospects of dealing with it or trying to fix it is overwhelming. And so we believe We believe that you are God. We believe that there is none like you. We believe that you are powerful, just, gracious, loving, faithful. That all of our concerns about the injustice in the world we can give to you and let go of it knowing that ultimately you will make it all right in the end. 
and all of the concerns that we have in us about not measuring up to the standard. Not measuring up to the standard of your righteousness, not even measuring up to the standard of our own righteousness. Lord, we are grateful that you are gracious in that and provide us salvation through Jesus Christ when we believe in him. And so, Lord, we ask, would you help us today to believe that, that we might be saved? And would you help us tomorrow and each day here forward to live by that faith, to be your righteous people living by faith in your salvation through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.